Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Plus, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey there. Good afternoon. Good morning, depending on where you're located. Um, I'm Steve Taylor. I'm the host of MSP Webinars. How's everyone doing today? You guys hearing me okay? Everything sounding good? Looking all right? <clears throat> Perfect. Thank you. So uh, we are joined by a very, very cool guest today. His name is Ehab from Pluralock. And uh, <clears throat> where did he go? Let me re-invite him on the screen. I think I might have done something here. Um, th thank you, Ian. Um, right, so, uh, man, we've got a lot going on here in the next couple weeks. So I just want to take a moment and go over all of that. So on Thursday, we have another security presentation. However, this is from Sophos. Um, Sophos is going to you know, show us their, their MSP Connect platform for the antivirus intercept X. They'll probably show us some, uh, some hardware stuff when it comes to uh, uh, firewalls and maybe even some Wi-Fi. So they'll have a lot to show us. And next week, oh, next week's going to be good, too. We are joined by SolarWinds. Again, I know this is starting to feel like a monthly thing. That's because it, it was set up as like a five, I want to say five, maybe six-month uh, thing where we were doing one at a time. So uh, Thursday next week is going to be an N-Central tech demo from SolarWinds. And then... Um, we're, we're going to be joined the Tuesday after that by Cloud Jumper. And that one's going to be really cool. We're going to talk about uh, desktop as a service, uh, workstation as a service, RDS, basically doing everything in the cloud. So I'm, I'm really excited. We, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up, guys. Um, <clears throat> so, so just to, to do some housekeeping, if you will. Questions, please ask tons of questions. This is going to be, um, this is a product, I've, I've never seen anything like this before, so I know I'm going to have tons of questions. Um, it's okay for you to be skeptical and ask skeptical questions. I, th I would like to think that they will be able to uh, address those in a way that, you know, shows you it's not snake oil. So without further ado, uh, oh, and, and make sure you use the questions section for questions. And then we've also got a poll area. So 
if you could go and answer the the poll questions that would be super i'll be watching youtube and uh this here i did not put this one on facebook today um but if you have any questions go ahead and put them in the youtube chat or in the ask a question section here in the webinar itself um with that said uh ehab please take it away my friend uh you'll need to share your screen again perfect thanks very much steve and uh, thank everybody for joining us today it's um it's actually a great pleasure to be talking about the product technology which is a very cool technology that um I'll, I'll, I'll go over um so the presentation will basically be two sections one is just some powerpoints discussing the technology and overview of what we do and then there's going to be a demo portion at the end that gives you an idea of what of, of what to expect when using the product um in essence Traditional security um, as well as authentication methods are designed to put up stumbling blocks for people um, by challenging them at several points throughout their workday to identify themselves. So you know, most of the time, end users, they have to remember and enter and frequently change passwords. Um, and that's not even mentioned really, you know, um, multi-factor authentication yet. So what this has done is it's actually created an environment where not only is security getting in the way of productivity, but it's actually having the opposite effect as users find ways around them. Um, this is where artificial intelligence and behavioral biometrics can actually change the whole authentication game. Think of a typical workday um, where somebody logs into the workstation. Uh, in more secure environments, what they usually do is that they, they may use a PKI or a CAC card, for example, to log in along with some pin code and a password. Um, once they're logged in, or even while they're logging in, um, as well as after, they might be prompted for second factor authentication, um, depending on which application they're actually trying to access. Um, and on top of that, of course, some of the applications that they, they, they have access to require extra levels of authentication. Um, and that the user has to log in again. So for example, it could be a second factor authentication or um, or an additional level where they have to do some kind of a step up authentication to, to make sure that they're having access to that extra secure app that they're trying to get to gain access to. Um, the interesting thing about the, all this is that even, even in spite of all this, it still leaves about 99% of the session unprotected because between every additional point in time authentication, and think of it, uh, that's sort of key today, is that all of these are point in time authentication decisions. Um, you know, between each of these decisions, the workstation is actually completely open for others to use. Um, if the user walks away from it, for example, um, if somebody is able to somehow remote desktop into it, um, or even a malicious USB stick that, put, that, that gets put in, can actually do a lot of damage. Um, speaking of damage, uh, four, four out of five data breaches actually use weak or stolen passwords, um, which either belong to, to the user or, um, or actually are default devices that are left um, with or servers that are left with, with the default password on them. Um, and that's, um, that's essentially where the problem with security lies. Between password policies, where you have to bend over backwards to get a password to be accepted when you're changing it, um, the special hardware that can actually break, as well as cause the user to carry something with them, like such a, as, a, as I said, a PKI card or some kind of a, um, or a pin device, as well as MFA, all of which can be stolen or even worked around. The, the current security methods don't really seem to be working that well. Um, 
in fact, this is actually a big problem for a lot of CIOs. Um, they don't, they, you know, they know users are often the weakest link in the security chain, but adding more cumbersome security protocols usually comes at the expense of user experience um, to a point where users end up putting up post-it notes on their monitor with their password on it, for example, or taping their PKA cards uh, into workstations. And we've seen all of these in, in customers and companies that we've dealt with, and I'm sure most of you have actually seen that too. Um, and this has actually been the, the cause of a lot of hesitation on some CIOs or CISOs to enact some of the more secure or more security for their end users and is therefore used by hackers as their number one MO whenever they're doing any kind of attack. Um, in fact, when you look at how most breaches actually take place, they usually follow a similar pattern. First, you have to get access to the network. Um, if you're an insider, you might be able to exploit the access that you already have to the system. If you're an outsider, you probably steal some kind of credentials, maybe um, through spear phishing attack or some other means, or exploit some kind of vulnerability to, the, to get access to that system. Um, once you're in, your goal is to actually elevate your privileges in order to, to be able to issue any kind of commands to get access to resources. Um, hackers, of course, often create new accounts at this stage to try and maintain and, and remain undetected a little bit longer than, than usual. Um, and usually uh, during this phase, this is where lateral movement takes place. So, for example, you know, as a hacker, of course, unless you're lucky, the system that you've gained access to usually doesn't contain whatever information you're looking for, whether that's credit card information or personal information or, um, or, or IP, for example. Um, so the next step is to actually move around in the network and get closer to the ultimate goal that you're trying to reach um, and just search around and look around. And this is where you usually try to, to, to elevate your privileges, find more, more, um, more, more vulnerabilities and more servers, et cetera, to be able to find more of that. Um, and from there, of course, you, you repeat the process um, until you get the, the, the access that you need and the permissions that to go after your ultimate target. And then you're pretty much free to wreak havoc or whatever you have in mind, you know, whether it's theft or business disruption or anything else that, that, that you're actually looking to do as a hacker. Um, now, unfortunately, in many cases, there are a lot of things that we do as, as IT that actually end up making it easier for attackers to carry on um, with their attack chain. They're, you know, whether it's weak authentication, stolen or compromised credentials, um, poor password or key management, shared accounts, um, as well as lack of monitoring and, and you know, and, and no limits on the lateral movement. Now, of course, there is good news in that, in that there is a way to stop attackers at multiple points in the skill chain. Um, remember, the what we're looking at is more continuous. Um, and to correct a lot of the management and admin shortcomings that make it easier for attackers to succeed in their attacks. That's where behavioral biometrics and continuous authentication comes into play. Um, in a nutshell, think of artificial intelligence that monitors the user's behavior and creates a profile that accounts for normal behavior of this user. So it then runs continuously in the background and not just at points in time. And once it detects any kind of abnormality, it actually takes action based on that. Um, all this while it's being actually invisible to the end user, because all they need to do is go about their day-to-day -day business. They don't need to do any other, um, any different activities or any kind of disruptions to their day-to-day -day, um, business. Um, and this is where behavioral biometrics are, and that's what behavioral biometrics are, as well as BioTracker. So BioTracker is Pluralock's product that uses behavioral biometrics. 
when what what biotracker does is that we use your typing rhythm and mouse movements to identify who you are this is because different people have different cadence and rhythm when using the keyboard and mouse and this is what we use to identify you um one important point to note here however is that we monitor how you type something and not what you're typing or what you click on this is actually important to note because in today's privacy aware world we we, we want to make sure that we have that distinction um so how does it work remember it's frictionless to the user because the user doesn't even know it's there um it's frictionless to the it team because it's autonomous and it's running in the background and only notifies you if you want it to be notified and i'll talk more about that later um we have a, a lightweight and easy deployable agent that you can mass deploy easy to um, on, on your customer sites um, or install it separately on your um, on your computers. Um, it's both Mac and PC compatible. It requires no additional hardware, unlike a lot of other solutions, um, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't use much RAM or CPU. Um, it requires the user to absolutely do nothing else other than just use their workstation normally, but and do their day to day business. What we do is that we register the user. So the, the registration and the enrollment are both automatic. So once the user logs into the endpoint after you set it up, the system and the system hasn't seen them before, what it will do is that it will register them and begin to enroll them on the device. Um, enrollment usually allows us to build an initial profile for that user. And once they're enrolled, the system automatically starts to protect that user. Um, now, bear in mind, this actually protects the whole endpoint not just a specific application or website. So you've got your whole endpoint actually protected against anybody else using it. Um, when a registered enrolled user, begin, user begins to, um, to, to, to use that endpoint, the agent actually starts collecting data on how they're using that keyboard and mouse and encrypts that data together with the device identifiers and some unique agent keys and send them to the server to process. Um, the server basically then analyzes the data against the profile that we have on file. Um, and makes a decision on whether the user is who they are claiming to be. And all these events are comprehensively logged, whether it's negative events or positive events. Um, there is the capability, of course, to do false alarms that allow the system to learn and adapt to, to, to the user's profile over time. And, and this is key with machine learning and artificial intelligence, is that the, the, the system will continue to keep learning your style. And as you, as you evolve as a human being and that child changes, that style changes over time, um, whether sometimes it's due to injury or due to other things, it, it actually can learn that style over time. Um, so with that, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I see some questions that I feel like we should ask right now. <clears throat> so if someone switches to typing one-handed, does it immediately block them out? How does that work? You get to um, uh, You get to configure how it should act. So it can just log that in the background and send you as an administrator an alarm saying that there's something weird going on. Um, you can set it so that it challenges the user. So it locks the workstation. They have to re-authenticate again. Um, or you can set it with more um, more complex um, rules, for example, and send an information to a SIM system um, or, or some other system where you can, uh, you can escalate, for example, security permissions on the network or reduce the security permissions on the network so that we can reduce whatever damage that person is doing. So depending on how you want the system to act. And, uh, you know, it's a ridiculous question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, <laughs> because well, I got I got to see how advanced the AI is. Will the system know why I'm typing with one hand? Why, why you're typing with one hand? Yeah. Um, 
it's not going to know why you're typing with one hand, but it will know that you are typing with one hand, um, or at least it okay. will know that you are typing differently from what you, you know, for, from from your usual method. Um, okay. We've actually noticed the, the the accuracy level of the system. We've noticed is that it will actually detect when somebody's fingernails are longer than usual, for example, because either that changes, that slightly changes your cadence and the way you, you move between keys. Um, so we've actually noticed some difference and like, it, it will recognize that difference. It's that, it's that sensitive. Now you, you realize that's kind of creepy, right? <laughs> like, I, and I mean, you know, you, if, if you've watched any of my webinars, I say ridiculous things. So, I mean, th that's kind of creepy, though, right? I mean, you've got a system that is, I, I feel like Big Brother watching me on my computer. And, Glenn, I don't want to know what you're doing if you're typing one-handed. But if it knows that, I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would you type on one hand? You have a sandwich in the other, right? <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. <laughs> so, um, you know, as, as I said, Steve, the, the, the key differentiator here is, remember, we don't know what you're typing. We keep no context of that whatsoever. Um, all we're doing is the cadence. So how quickly you move between keys, how, how, far, how, you know, how often you keep keys pressed. So, yes, there is definitely an element of, as you know, as you call it, creepiness there. Um, however, one, you know, the one thing to note is that there is no intrusion. There is nothing that that all it's doing, all the whole sole purpose of it being there is to identify if somebody else is using the workstation. Okay, so I mean, let's let's keep it a hundred here. We're all adults. If someone goes to like Pornhub or whatever, you're not actually detecting. You're you're not. How do I how do I want to say this? You're not doing like key logging where you're keeping a record of everything that they've typed in. Um, you're no. just keeping a record of how they've typed it. Yeah, we're just keeping a record of how they've typed in. Um, you know, of course, it could be that when they go to Pornhub, somehow their typing mechanism changes. <laughs> um, or their typing style changes for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, and but we so we will recognize that. that. That cadence, if it changes, we will recognize it. Okay, so... So it measures how quickly we've typed in Pornhub, not the fact that we have typed in Pornhub. Correct. Got it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I just want you to know, uh, don't be surprised if Pornhub is my example for the remainder of this webinar. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> it keeps it interesting. Right, and, then, and then Ian said, speed, rhythm, and cadence of typing behavior or mouse movements. Um, <laughs> Dave said he wants to know if it keeps track of how long he lasted on Pornhub. <laughs> we don't know that you're on Pornhub. Again, unless you do something differently <laughs> when you're on Pornhub than you do normally. But even then, we'll eventually learn that. Well, I think it checks every three to five seconds, so it probably won't even realize he's been there. Exactly. Um, all right. So uh, you said it does mouse. Now, I am... Uh, I'm what you guys call a unicorn in the IT world. I'm an IT consultant that uses a Mac. So I've got the, um, and I don't know, I guess I should switch over to my video here. I've got this for my mouse. So I've got the uh, the magic trackpad. So 
I mean, does it work the same way if it's a trackpad or a traditional handheld mouse? That's a very good question. Um, it works the same way per device. So we can differentiate the different devices that you're connected to. So if you use, for example, as you said, you know, if you're honest, if, if you're in the office, you're using a trackpad. Um, but while you're on an airplane, for example, you're using, you know, you're, you're, you're using a trackpad on the device or you're using a mouse at other times at home, for example, or a docking station, we recognize these as different devices. Um, and that's part of the reason why we get we, we get accurate results is that because that it, you know it doesn't matter how good your algorithm is, there are going to be differences in the, the the micro and the milliseconds of typing between different devices and different devices will actually act a little bit differently. So if I go and get a new like let's say I upgrade from the first magic trackpad to the second magic trackpad, Obviously, there's hardware changes. Correct. So it's it's going to detect said change, and understand that there's been a change when it's when it's going and doing its job. Correct. So the way that it normally works is once we've learned your your typing style on one device, um, and once we've completely enrolled you, is we build what we call a master profile on you. That master profile is is device independent. And think of it as sort of the average of all the devices that you typically use. So when you start using a new device that we've never seen before, um, what we're going to do is we're going to use your master profile for to, to continue protecting your account. Um, but at the same time, we're enrolling that device in the background so that we, we again learn your style and, and, and bring that back up to, up to the master profile. All right. Um, let's see. Next, uh, gosh, I had a question and I lost it. Oh, uh, so these profiles, um, and this is this is something that you can just say wait for later when I show you the the admin thing. But like, do do I as the administrator get to kind of like see what a person's profile looks like? You don't see the details of the profile, but you see the different devices, um, and you see the um, you know you, you see how how enrolled they are. But um, you know, as you said, I will show you that later. Okay, great. Um, let me look and see if there's any other questions relevant to with what we've seen right now. Uh, would this be considered an element of UEBA? Good question. It is, in fact, our um, we have two modes of our product. We've got what we call the BioTracker Aware product, which is just an aware only. It's a monitoring only solution, and that really is we we categorize that as a UBA um, solution. Um, and we've got the Defend product, which you know, which is more of an EDR. Got it. Because it takes action and protects the organization. Um, one guy here says. 95 or more percent of his computer usage, <clears throat> excuse me, is mouse driven. So is it still going to be pretty accurate when they're just using a mouse? Yes, um, simply because of the fact that we, we treat the mouse and the keyboard equally in terms of how they're how, in the input. So if, if most of your usage is mouse, well, that's it's part of machine learning. We've learned your style and your style consists of mostly mouse. And that's what that, that's what will protect you. Okay. And then uh, because I like to ask ridiculous questions throughout, not that we haven't already gotten ridiculous, uh, looking at the third picture, it looks like if someone with different colored hands tries to use the keyboard, uh, it denies them. 
<laughs> if someone with different hands. <laughs> it just looks like you know the the lighter hands are being denied. So I will make sure I keep the same color for next time. Thanks for the feedback. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right. Um, I'm going to save that one for later, that one for later. What about common use computers, like ones that are in like a conference room? Um, the, the way that it works right now is that it is linked to an account, right? So if, you, <clears throat> if you're using a computer uh, in a conference room that is common use, as long as you're logging in as a user who is associated with an account onto that computer, then you're fine, you're, you're so protected. Um, if you know if, if it's one shared account on that computer, then that becomes a little bit trickier because we we do associate one account with one user. So if if they're I mean if they're uh, let's say they're not using like Active Directory, they all just log in with the same account, then it's better to just not install the agent on that computer. It sounds like. Uh, yes, because um, or disable the agent uh, simply because of the fact that if you're going if you're going to have multiple people on that same that same computer, then yes, it, the the agent will go compute. It is one of the things we um, we are working on as a, as one of the our use cases is to be able to recognize multiple users per for for one profile. But that's we we haven't had that much demand for it yet in terms of <clears throat> in terms of uh, uh, customer requirements. And you know we've we've touched on this uh, quite a bit. How can we uh, provide some type of of confidence to our customer that this is not a keylogger, other than saying, "Trust us, it's not a keylogger." Um, how do you prove a negative? That's I guess <laughs> that's always the the interesting thing there. Um, <clears throat> it's you. The, the the interesting thing is that once you set it up, you don't you know you, you the everything is encrypted. Everything is the all the, the the raw data never leaves your your client, um, and it's everything. The only things that are sent to the server are sort of aggregated um, telemetry and information for that user, right? So, um, so so really, I mean, you know, we, we it's. Well, but, but that right there, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but that right there is already kind of a slippery slope explanation. That was really hard to get out for some reason. So, um, you know, people have heard Windows 10, for example, back when everyone was all, uh, oh, Microsoft is invading my privacy. Uh, that was a big thing. You know, Microsoft is, is watching the telemetry data and, and all that other stuff. But we do know that Microsoft is using the information. So they're using, you know, what you type, where you go, uh, what you search for on the computer, everything. So that way, um, so that way they can use that information to advertise to you and give you targeted ads. And I'm not saying you're advertising. I'm just saying, you know, it, it's, it's like that double-edged sword where like, you know, I get it. Me being an IT guy, I understand. Like, I believe you when you tell me that it's not it's not doing it. But how do we, the the technical guys that actually know what we're talking about, explain this to our customer who has no flipping clue what we're talking about? And I think, it, I think yeah. is the real question. Yes, I mean it's a good point, right? And think of it as 
uh, no different than other cybersecurity products, um, like you know firewall logs. I mean, fire firewall logs. They know when you're when you've been to uh, the Pornhub. <laughs> um, so you know, in in many ways, what we do is a lot less intrusive and a lot less, a lot more privacy aware than than other cybersecurity contextual data. Um, you look at other um, uh, other AI and machine learning based products out there on the market today. A lot of them are a lot more intrusive because they actually look at what you're doing and not how you're doing it. We're we're only looking at how you're doing it. Okay, that's good. Um, I think we're good to just move on for now. Sure, sounds good. Thank you. Um, so one of the really cool things about BioTracker is that the way that it was built and it was designed was to actually work very well with other technologies. Um, you know, so so these are just some examples that that show that BioTracker is actually built you know, on a microservices-based architecture. Um, and it's you know it's therefore available to integrate whether you want to integrate it on IAM solution or an EDR or a PAM um, or SIM systems for your customers that may already be using it. Um, one you know one use case for example that some of our customers do is that they've integrated it with um, we've integrated it with CallSign in one one customer site where um, instead of doing a step up authentication to some of their more sensitive applications um, by their user, so instead of popping up a call sign um, second factor authentication to access a specific app, for example, they will actually look at the BioTracker agent and look at the, 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 the level of confidence of that agent or for, that, for this particular user over the last little while, for example, a few minutes. And if there's a high level of confidence from the BioTracker agent that this user is who they say they are, well, you know what? We're skipping the whole call sign second factor authentication altogether, and we're just letting that user through. Now, if the confidence is low, then we can actually challenge them with that step up authentication to make sure that they are who they are. They say they are, or at least they have that um, that access. Um, so the system is actually designed to work very well with other technologies. It is, as I mentioned before, microservices based, and, and the architecture is is open for for lots of different types of integrations. Um, some of the um, some of the use cases that, of course, you know, we we always like to say this because sometimes when when you have really cool technologies, it's it's you you get so distracted by what it does that you forget what you can use it for. But think of some of these things that are here: stolen credentials, for example, you know, whether through phishing um, or or data leak or anything else. Um, essentially, means that if somebody else has got your user ID and password and logs in as yourself, they can actually they, they won't be able to get, to get very far because we're going to recognize that right away. Um, think of um, li named license-based scenarios where you you want only the person who is paying for that license to be able to use it, and nobody will, and, and not to share it with other people. So again, this is very useful because the way that you're you're moving around and typing in and, and using the application will actually determine. That you're you're the one who is uh, who should be doing it. Um, user substitution. So it's happened a lot, especially in um, a lot of offshore um, contracted and outsourced um, employment, where the person who shows up on the first day to work is not the person who you actually interviewed and accepted and did a background check on. Um, it, it does happen quite often. So that's again one of the things that where you can, you know by tracker can actually help that user substitution at any given time. Um, things like inside a threat, where somebody goes in and tries to use somebody else's computer, for example, to to, to access or, or do things that they shouldn't be doing. 
um, remote access Trojan, USB rubber ducky attack. So um, the, the rubber ducky attacks are actually a very interesting case because typically when, when we've tried it with some, any kind of USB scripting attack, you put in that USB stick and within less than a second, you're locked out. It, it doesn't even have like, you know, we, because it's, it is so different than the way humans type that it can actually lock you out in just no time without even knowing what's going on. Um, you know, when it comes to phishing, I mean, we're, we're not stopping the end user from actually clicking on the on a, on a specific link or entering the information. However, once that account has been compromised and somebody else tries to come in and use it, that that's where we can definitely help. Um, um, one of the interesting use cases that we've found in the market as well is the regular attribution. Um, so, you know, since we're we're being ridiculous, think of Homer Simpson sitting on on the control panel of the nuclear power station right and and homer does something stupid um the and half a city block goes down for example or half a city goes down in terms of and, and no power there um then he says nope nope it wasn't me right uh, so attribution is where based on the actions on the workstation now you can you can for for sure tell that hey this is this was the user who was logged in and based on the type of actions that they've done this is what we uh, this was, you know, most likely Homer Simpson. Um, user carelessness, where you leave your computer unlocked, and as you know, and, and when you think of it, sort of in in, in very simple terms, think of it as a, as in, an invisible second factor or multi-factor authentication, um, where you've got an additional layer of protection that is invisible to the end user. They're not doing anything outside of what what they're ordinarily doing, um, but at the same time, they're actually continually being protected, which leads, of course, to regulatory compliance. I'm not going to get on there because that's usually kind of uh, boring, too boring for anybody to listen to. Um, so in a nutshell, you know, you get all this with the added bonus of being able to eliminate or relax a lot of your password policies, for example. You know, a lot of CIOs, a lot of CISOs actually want to go to, want, want to make things simpler for, the, for their end user. However, it's tough to go and say, I want to make things easier for the end user without having some kind of a compensating control. Um, and everybody knows nowadays, even NIST have come and acknowledged recently that having part complex password and the rotation and all these um, all these policies that make it very difficult for the end user are not really having that much of an impact on, um, on cybersecurity. And so a CISO can take this product to their board and say, hey, you know, if with this, with, with BioTracker, I can relax a lot of this stuff, which actually improves a lot of my user satisfaction, it improves productivity because I no longer have to keep logging in and out all the time. Um, as well as I can, in many cases, for example, skip multi-factor authentication if I need to. Um, and I can increase, for example, the inactivity timeout so the computer doesn't get locked, up, locked out every five minutes if they don't do anything on there. Um, and the really cool thing is no user training. Um, it, it just sort of works by itself once you've set it up and it runs continuously and protects continuously as opposed to any a given point in time. Um, so, to you know, just to give you a quick so so what I'll do is I'll I'll give you a um, a quick demo. So I'll pause here for questions first. Um, but essentially, you know, just to summarize this, uh, you know, BioTracker uses AI and it builds a profile on the users by the way that they type on a keyboard and mouse, not what they type or click on. Um, we use that profile to provide continuous identity assurance and protect against identity threats. Um, and all that while we maintain user satisfaction because there's no additional steps or interruptions to the end user. Um, 
any questions before I go into a five minute demo? We still have plenty of questions actually. <clears throat> All right, so um, it doesn't seem like this today can do away with passwords, but is that a goal for you guys? I'm sorry, I didn't get that, Steve. Well, the, the question that somebody asked was, can we do away with passwords? I'm going to assume the answer that's is a, no. Um, that's a good question. I, it, it's, it's funny when when Fluorilock first started, one of the one of the things that we stated as our mission is to eliminate passwords. Um, at this stage, with what we have today, no, I don't think so. But I think the way that cybersecurity as a field in general, using machine learning and artificial intelligence, and when you when you start having a lot of contextual signals around the user activity. So keyboard and mouse are just one of them. Think of, for example, when, when you look at one specific user, don't, what's their IP address? Where are they logging in from right now, for example? Where's their phone located, for example? Um, it, there, there are a whole bunch of additional signals that you can use altogether to potentially say, hey, you know what? If this is a user that's that's coming in, we may we may get one, one point to a point where we can eliminate passwords. So as we get smarter about cybersecurity, as we start learning more about what people do and how they, how people do it, we, we we may potentially be able to just maybe not you know not completely eliminate passwords, but just replace them with a passphrase that you don't even need to enter the same way every time. It could be just you know a different passphrase that you have to just type in every time, for example, and that could be that could be a replacement for a password along with some other factor, for example, you know, whether whether we still use CAC cards or anything else, we can you know depends on the organization, of course. Does that make sense? I th I think so, yeah. Um how should I feel about you guys installing an agent on my endpoints that can ostensibly see the keystrokes? Um, don't feel uncomfortable because we see numbers between the keystrokes. We see milliseconds. We see, we don't see what you are typing. All right. So there's nothing contextual about what you're doing. The only thing that we do is just the telemetry of how you get between keys. Now, what you do see, cause, cause I'm just trying to think here of, of, how involved this needs to be. It's not just the, the number of milliseconds in between keystrokes because you might still have some hunt and pecker typing people out there. So wouldn't you also need to understand that if the last letter they hit was A and the next letter they hit is P, I mean, that, that little finger's got to travel a long way across the keyboard to make the, the number of milliseconds longer. Yes, um, and so that's actually that's a very good question because the way that that it works is not. Yeah, you know, I, I might be able, for example, to move between the you know the if I'm typing the word help, right? So I I might be able to move between the H and the E key, for example. So there is a difference in time between my movement between H and E than it is between the E and the L, mm -hmm. for example, right? So so yes, we definitely know the time that it takes you between these two keys but we never actually put them together to create any kind of help. And we never log them in a way that will, that will allow you to, for example, reconstruct it. So, so think of, for example, you know, the profile will consist of 
Um, on average, um, Steve goes between H and E in 0.5 milliseconds, for example, right? On average, right? And, and then as, as the H and E are sort of typed and we, we check, we compare that, that specific telemetry to, some, to, to what we have on profile. And that's what we call the, the sort of the, the coverage of a profile. So we know exactly what, what kind of, you know, how long it takes you between specific different keys, but we don't really know what the keys are, what, what the actual big, big letter would be, or sorry, big word would be. Does the, does the computer need to be continuously connected to the internet for this thing to work? In our current version, yes, um, it has to be connected to the server. Um, we do have a, an offline version coming out probably within the next six months. And what happens if the laptop is stolen? If the laptop is stolen, I mean, if, if assuming you're able to log in, if you are able to log in as that, you know, as a, into the laptop, then it will pretty much as you know, if you're connected, of course, and we're protecting you, then we will we will take action. So depending on how you've configured the laptop, you will get locked out um, as soon as you start using a computer, assuming you manage to log in. Okay, so you know, in that perfect storm that I like to call most end users, we're we're going to go through a scenario. Um, I lost my laptop. I don't have a password on the laptop. I don't need one. I have Pluralock. Uh, I think I just, did I lose my ears? No, I didn't. Weird. Um, so I, I have Pluralock, so I don't, I don't need a password. So the thief takes it to a Panera or whatever, opens it up, doesn't connect to Wi-Fi, and starts looking through my files and finds my tax returns, which have my, uh, you know, social security, yada, 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 everything they need to steal my identity. Because I'm, because I didn't have a password on my computer and because it's not connected to Wi-Fi, you're not protecting me, right? With the, yeah, with the current version, you're not. Right, but we, you will be soon. Um, you know, and I see one of the questions, for example, you know, if nothing leaves the system, why should I not? Why, why should it? Why would it not work offline? Um, that's I mean, that's a good question, and that's that's part of the reason why we're we're moving in that direction. Is you know, initially it was set up in where our a lot of our customers were using virtualized environments, so they needed an internet connection to get in anyway. Um, there was no way they could actually access, and that's more of a high secure environment. But as we're moving, as, as the technology is becoming a bit more mainstream, um, remember we're cutting edge here, right? So as the technology is becoming a little bit more stream, what's, end up, what's ending up happening is that now we're getting smaller organizations and smaller um, smaller companies that are more interested in having these diff different types of scenarios where offline use is required. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's not the answer I wanted to hear, but you you know you you came ready to answer, so that's good. Um, I th you know we've talked about keyloggers enough. Uh, there was one person they asked what the difference between this and a keylogger is. I think it's basically the keylogger logs what's typed. This is just logging the speed, rhythm, and cadence of how you behave, but isn't keeping track of how, what you typed, right? Correct. Okay. Um, what SIEMS, S-I-E-M products does this support? 
Um, we were the, the API is pretty open, so it can be as long as your team is open, it can do it. We have out of the box uh, configurable connection to Splunk. Splunk, I don't know if that's a good one or not. I'll be honest, I'm not a guy that uses seams. Um, Zach is my resident seam expert. Uh, he'll probably tell you I'm saying it wrong too. Who knows, I don't. Um, <laughs> it, what about an API so uh, so we can query the data? Like, you know, for example, we use a seam or something else that you don't have out of the box support with. Um, so yeah, that's actually a very good question. So what ends up the, the the way that the APIs work with Plurilock is that you've got two options. You can query the Plurilock API and the Plurilock server. So you can say, for example, hey, I'd like to know what um, what the confidence level in Steve's usage of that workstation looks like right now or in the last few minutes. And Plurilock will return that confidence level and tells you, hey, we think, you know, based on the way that he was typing user ID, it doesn't really look like Steve. Um, or it looks, you know, we're, we're pretty confident that it is Steve. So that's one 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 time. Um, the other type is is what we call outbound. So Plurilock then sends these logs and events to a seam or to some other system, for example, for um, you know, like let's say for example, Duo. So for whatever reason, your organization does not want to lock an end user out um, when we detect an anomaly. What we can do, for example, then is that um, Plurilock or BioTracker will send Duo a step-up authentication request. So as, so, so as soon as we detect that anomaly, you'll get prompted on the screen to, to, to step up your authentication. So to enter a PIN number, to enter something, that that would make sure that it is still used. So you, so so either way, the, the integration actually works, and the API support both of these. Awesome. Now, um, Glenn wants to talk pricing. He wants to know what it costs. Um, and and I think I think the the um, to clarify, uh, MSP pricing. So obviously we would be buying it and like reselling it or packaging it with our bundle. That's um, what um, what I would recommend you do is go to our MSP page. So plurilog.com slash MSP. Uh, pricing always changes. Pricing is always variable. Pricing is always depending on the MSP and the business. So I don't really want to talk about pricing in, in just in general terms because it doesn't make sense. But isn't there like an MSRP that you could at least start us off with? Um, not really. Okay. Um, so everyone here is saying that means it's it's, it's expensive. <laughs> so it's it's like when you go to the uh, the Connectwise website and you're like, I just want to know how much this costs. Call for details. That means it's expensive. <laughs> so well, I mean, yeah, it's not expensive, no. It's um, it, it's we because well, you know, one of the things to bear in mind is that you know, as as a small and upcoming company with um, you know, with, with bleeding edge technologies, one of the things that we do try as we go to market is we we try to be flexible, um, as we okay. try as we start to build our customer base. Um, so that's why we we typically don't want to say prices publicly simply because of the fact that. It just, you know, it, it positions us into into a into a, a category that we may not fit in. 
Um, and it's you know, uh, and just to answer your question, no, it's not expensive. Okay. We are in line with pretty much every you know every other EDR solution and and seem any EDR solution out there or UBA solution out there. Um, all right. So I I see Ian put in the chat under ten under ten dollars per user per month. So that could be two or three, or that could be nine ninety nine. We don't know, but um, I would say that that is potentially reasonable. <laughs> potentially, <laughs> um, I would like to see how how do you guys how are you guys trying to position yourselves? Because you know, obviously this. This isn't something that we can compare to, like, you know, Sophos Antivirus or Bitdefender because you're not protecting machines from the software malicious threats. You're protecting machines from physical bad actors. And I feel like that, you know, there's, there's really not do, – do you have any competitors in your space right now? I think the it, it's when you when you talk about competitors, it's it's an interesting question because simply because of the way that we you know we we focus on 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 the person. So when you look at competitors, you can say, okay, you know, do I compete with endpoint protection solutions? Well, maybe. Um, you know, do I compete with an antivirus solution? Well, you could say I'm protecting the endpoints. So yes, I am. Um, however, at the same time, I'm not really protecting it against viruses. I'm protecting it against um, insider threats or users. And that's and that's um, exactly yeah. I mean, you just you just repeated what I said there. So, with with that, do you actually have any competitors? Think of every um, user behavior analytics solution out there as potential frenemy, meaning that they could be competitors in certain scenarios. Um, but at the same time, we are a very good complement to a lot of these solutions out there because we provide that additional human layer in terms of signal. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and the same with, um, you know, the, the same with uh, with UBA, right? It's, because the, the products that we do have actually fit within there. Okay. Um, Thanks, Eric. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's good or bad. <laughs> I th I think he's implying that you're you're dodging the, the question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're you're answering you're answering in a very political fashion when I'm asking yes or no questions, um, mm. and and they'll call you on it. Unfortunately, here in MSB webinars. <laughs> um, all right, so yes, ish. I think is the answer I'm hearing. To do you have competitors in this industry sort of uh yeah yeah we do i mean it's you know it's it, and it, there and as i said right we we look at competitors in two ways one is do they do and solve the same problem that we solve but in a different way that's right. one way of looking at it right right um, or the other way of looking at it is are they going off to the same space or you know there, there is a third category for example you know are they using behavioral biometrics but anybody who's sort of using behavioral biometrics out there that we're seeing today is are focusing on different use cases, usually fraud and web-based. We are protecting the endpoint. We're pretty much the only ones out there who are protecting the, the, the endpoint from a behavioral biometrics perspective. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to figure, I'm just trying to set you up for 
Um, I don't really know what I'm trying to set you up for. I had it in my mind. <laughs> I had all these awesome <laughs> questions and I've lost them. Uh, I, I don't like to dance. That's why. Um, all right. So let's, let's do this then. Uh, we know you've got some competition, but I feel like in the managed services space, I haven't seen anything like what you do yet. Um, so are you familiar with any MSP type of companies that do what you do? And you don't have to um, name names. I'm just looking for a yes or a no. Not at this stage. There isn't very anybody out there who is actually really doing what we do from an MSP perspective, simply because there isn't anybody out there doing exactly what we're doing. Fair enough. So that makes you that makes you very new, uh, which which is both exciting and scary. Okay. So with with that, you know, with, with you being really new, obviously you really have to prove yourself right now. And I think you guys know that. You know, you're new. You already said you're young. You don't want to put yourself in a in a uh, category where you don't belong, you know, that type of stuff. But at the same time, like for an MSP, we don't we don't see you guys being talked about other than have you heard of Pluralock? You know, or ha who here is using Pluralock? Anyone? Show of hands. No, nobody. Okay. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, we're starting to hear the name. You know, you guys are showing up on Reddit. You guys are showing up in Discord and and all the other places, but um, but I'm not hearing any. Yes, we use it. We love it. I'm not even hearing. Yeah, we tried it. It's awful. Like I'm just hearing. I'm just hearing <laughs> nothing but. Hey, they exist. So. I, I just want to make sure that you guys are aware of that. And then I did a poll uh, just now. Um, six people have answered out of the 14 people that are here. Please, everyone else that has access to the poll, please answer this. Uh, the bottom question is all the, the one I really care about right now. And while you guys are answering, I'm going to go through the poll uh, questions uh, one by one, just so you guys have an idea, uh, Ian and Ehab. Um, so how interested do you think your customers would be in this type of security product? The answers that I'm seeing here are uh, four people have said somewhat interested. Four have said not at all. Make that five. And three have said very interested. Nobody has screamed to take my money. Um what do you think is this this is going to cost per per user per month uh one person thought you were going to be charging over 20 bucks a month per user uh everyone else thought it would be in the one to ten range um my favorite question to ask and it, it, it's always the same one that wins and i'm okay with this star wars or star trek star wars one and um I asked a question I think that Ian and Ehab would find useful, whether whether it's positive or negative. Um, what is this worth to you per user per month? Not what do you think it's going to cost? What is it worth? So I won't read those out loud. I'll let you guys, uh, you guys should be able to see that if you go to the polls section on the, down in the bottom there. 
But I mean, that is, you know, if they're if they're saying that's what it's worth to them, that is more like the expectation of, of what these people are are thinking it's going to cost. And if if it's worth that to them, that still doesn't mean that they'll actually buy it. So I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be a jerk. I just want to make sure that you guys are aware of, of what the crowd is feeling right now. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, the sound of the tech, you appreciate it, definitely. I mean, we can look at the, uh, so I'm, I'm looking at them right now, so. So, um, let's see. I know there are more questions. I'm going to try and breeze through them all. Um, Brad said he's having a hard time understanding the product or how to sell it. Is there some type of white-labeled marketing material available that, that he can include with... Um, uh, with, you know, when he goes to sell his managed services to his clients. I feel like, you know, if this is in the less than $10 per user price, this is something, Brad, in my opinion, that should just be included with your fully uh, managed service package. That's just me. Um, all right. So, Ehab, do you have, uh, do you guys have any type of marketing material that we MSPs, can use with our customers absolutely so we have um we, we've got data sheets and white papers um and you can actually get access to all of that um so just just go to plurilock.com msp and you'll be able to, to, to get access to anything you want and are any of these items what we call white label so they have a spot for us to slap our own logo on it yes Yes. So every every document out there does have a does have a version where you can put your own logo on there. Wonderful. I think that's really important for for all vendors to do when it comes to uh, having MSP reseller partners. Um, you know, if, if you're not going to give us the tools that, that we need to market and sell your product, it's you know you're we're being set up for failure. So the fact that you're providing that, uh, this is this is good. Yeah, and one thing to bear in mind is, that, I mean, this is this is we are at the, the stage where we are starting to sign up MSPs. We're focusing a lot on on trying to make you successful, and in turn, of course, make us successful. Um, do you integrate with any MSP products right now, like Connectwise, uh, Autotask, or the data products? I should call them now, Kaseya, anything like that. Um, we don't, but we, it's, you know, as I mentioned, it's, it's an open platform. So it's, it's very, very, it's, it's not, it's not hard, difficult. To do. So depending on the MSP and the platform, we're, we're certainly willing to talk. Do you have any integrations with things like Zapier? Um, we don't do Zapier, uh, per se. Um, however, the, it's not that difficult to build something simply because of the fact that Zapier is completely open and we're microservices based. So it's it's uh, literally shouldn't take more than a day or so. Okay. Um, let's see here. Does this work well with like some type of remote desktop connection? So, uh, for example, like uh, somebody working from home logging into Citrix. We um, we actually recognize the recognize when you're connecting remotely versus locally. Um, and so, you know, so, so we, and, and if, if all your connections are done remotely versus locally, then, the, you know, then, then we learn it that way. Um, of course, you know, there, there are definitely nuances when it comes to, 
to connecting remote device Citrix, for example, where you know Citrix sometimes takes control of the the, the keyboard um, and, and and mouse traffic that comes back and forth. Um, so, the, so the, the the I would say that it 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 definitely works well, um, but there are some improvements that we are making in that regard. Okay. Will you guys? And you know, and, and and it's really about the fact that the the when you're connecting remotely, sometimes the 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 time it takes is actually not that consistent, and that's why that's where the the, the difference takes place. So some you know, so what we're doing right now is trying to to look at specifics like Citrix, for example, and make sure that we have that that we we take a little bit more control of that timing and and the time log, so that we can ensure that we're we're a lot more accurate. Um, so I think we touched on the fact that this would be fantastic for like banks and doctors offices and that type of stuff. So do you guys sign uh, BAA, for example? Uh, say that again, Steve. Sorry, I didn't get that. Um, are you guys willing to sign a BAA? I believe it's a business associates agreement for HIPAA compliance. Um, let's talk and see. Okay. Um, and the reason that that answer is going to be very important, because if that answer is no, then I have to word this wisely. Any, any MSP that is doing HIPAA the way that an MSP is supposed to be doing HIPAA will require a BAA from any of their vendors, especially the ones that um that that are that are being utilized for like that doctor's office so yeah. if if your software is getting deployed onto one of the computers at that doctor's office my understanding is you're going to need to sign a baa or else you're you're still on the hook <laughs> you just have uh even more liability now yeah, so yeah. the BAA, I think, is more to cover your assets. Um, <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, it's a good question. We, you know, and when and we're not opposed to signing it, it's, it's just because I'm not a lawyer. We have to make sure the lawyer actually. Signs. I understand. <laughs> I, I understand. Um, let's see here. Will this solution work as an acceptable replacement for multi-factor authentication? or call from Azure AD plan one. Users hate multi-factor calls from Active Directory. We, um, we have a, um, for Active Directory federated services, we have a plugin that acts as a silent second factor authentication. So as you're signing in, use the way that you type in your user ID and password to authenticate you. And that's integrated already with um, ADFS, so you can use it with things like Office 365, for example. Mm. Um, we're also working on a Windows login, plugin to, to, to act as a silent second factor authentication as well. So you know, so we're, we're integrating with Windows Hello and, um, and, and credentials provided for Windows so that we can, again, the way that you're typing in your user ID of password in Windows would act as a silent second factor authentication. Okay. Um, are there any known issues or conflicts with uh, any malware, AV, 
uh, data loss protection prevention type applications? We have never seen that happen in any of our deployments so far. And a lot of them have antivirus software and uh, nothing has ever actually come there. So not that, it'll, that it will never happen in the future, it just hasn't happened yet. Well, I mean, because antivirus software and malware and then Windows, they're, they're always evolving, right? And right. You know, so you, you never know that, you know, one day maybe Windows might come up with some kind of an update that thinks that an antivirus software is malicious. <laughs> right? but, so, at the same time, I think there are steps that you can take to reduce the possibility of being detected as a threat, like uh, application signing and that type of stuff. Yes. And you guys are. And we do all that. Perfect. Okay. So that's good. Um, now, uh, with that said, though, so, you know, several months back we had, it was a whitelist tool. So basically it wasn't antivirus. It was literally you whitelist the applications you want to use and it's called threat locker. So it might be a good idea for you guys to have a list of all of the applications that would be running or something like that, or for you to just get, I, I can even put you in touch with the, uh, Danny over at Threat Locker, if you want, because I would I would love for you to make sure that your software is detected properly with his. So sure. no, thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. We definitely would take it up and up. Uh, if this helps with HIPAA reporting and monitoring, does it natively integrate with any EMR or identity management systems? we protect the workstation right so so what that means is that emr typically requires that you you know that, that you're using that workstation so it's typically what ends up happening a lot of clinics for example is you've got the same user um, id and password for one workstation and then the doctors will if it's a web-based emr the doctors will then log in to that emr separately as they as, as they access it i've seen some clinics for example where it's where the you know you, you don't get access to the workstation unless you're logged in as as each individual doctor but that you know a lot of the time that takes um, more time um so we we protect the whole workstation if you are logged in as from from the win from the operating system level um on the emr level we we uh, we do have a web-based uh, component that again acts as a second factor authentication that allows you to, you know, the, the way that you enter user ID and password as a doctor can can use it as a protection as well. But that's more that's in beta release right now. Okay. Um, so what if you know my techs or or me are remotely logged into a client computer? Uh, is it going to flag me as an unauthorized user? If you are logged in, uh, sorry, I got distracted by the, the notes on the site, Steve, so if you could repeat that again. No, no problem. If, you can ignore that. I, I can, I've been trying to keep an eye on those as well. Um, okay. So if, uh, you know, end user has Pluralock running, they're doing their thing, they get an error, they call me for tech support, I remotely access the computer. Screen connect, whatever, it doesn't really matter what tool I'm using. Yeah. Pluralock is going to detect me as not the user because I'm using the computer differently than they would, right? Yes. So it could potentially lock me out. Um, that's why one of the capabilities of the software is to allow you to pause that protection. Um, so as an IT guy, if I'm going to install Office or install something on a workstation or access that workstation, before I do that, I could just pause it for five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour, however long I think it should be, and, and it will just ignore everything I do at that time. Okay. Is there a trial? Yes. Okay. So there's a trial. That's good. 
Now I know I I I tried to beat you guys up a little to do some type of uh, discount, and that didn't seem like it was going to happen. Um, but I'm also looking in the chat here. So, what if I said I, I want to do a group buy? Um, and I and I want to I want to do a group buy for for everyone that's a member of MSP webinars. Um, I would need it to be multi-tenant so that we each each person has their own account. I don't want there to be security issues. Is that something that you guys can work with me to do? Where I'm the I'm the one that's paying for it all. They'll pay me. But uh, <laughs> that way that way sure. we can try and get the, the discount for volume yeah. eventually. I'm sure we're open to discussing that for sure. Okay. Because uh, yeah, I want to make that happen for my people. I, I think this could be a good thing. Obviously, I need some guys that that know what they're doing and, and have the the test environments to actually go through and test this. So I see, you know, I see Cliff and Zach talking about this. Um, if you guys want to test it out or, or if you maybe we can work together offline after the webinar and, and work out some type of like trial account for, for us to play with. Um, I, I definitely want to. I definitely want to look into this further because I think this is something that can help my my, my people here. That no, sounds very good. Yeah, and we would definitely love to talk more about that. Perfect. So, with that said, we've gone through all of the questions so far, uh, except for Glenn. Glenn wants to know if there's a refund policy if he doesn't like it. <laughs> it's um, it's paid per. It's it, it, it's recurring license fees, right? So, when you want to stop, you stop. <laughs> Glenn, you, I'll tell you what. I will refund the ticket that uh, everything you paid for the ticket to today's webinar. If you're unhappy, okay. This guy. Let me tell you, this guy, never happy. Uh, is, oh, and is there a, is there a contract, or is this just a month to month pay as pay for usage type thing? Um, depends on the situation. I mean, in, in a SaaS environment, we could do it month to month, depending on on the the situation. But um, but yeah, I would I would actually discuss that offline more. Oh, okay. So we'll so what I'll do is I'll have a conversation with my people about this after the webinar, and then I can circle back. Should I just uh, get with Ian first, or should I go to you? Yeah. Um, probably both me and Ian. Would okay. Be fine. I'll circle back with you two. There's going to be so many circles. I'm going to circle back with them and then I'll circle back with you guys and then I'll circle back with them to tell them what you said and then circle back and I'll get dizzy. I'll fall over and we may come up with a deal. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> All right. If you could be so kind to give us uh, that demo. Um, sure, absolutely. That would be awesome. Thank you. Just log in here. And you can tell Cliff really does watch like every one of these videos. He said, yearly makes us sad, as Steve says. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll, this is just a very quick overview of what the administrator would see. So, you know, think of, you know, the, from an endpoint perspective and from the endpoint agent perspective, there isn't, you know, there isn't anything to show. It's just an agent running in the background. And most of the time, end users don't even see it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but the part that I'll uh, sort of give you an idea of is just the continuous authentication piece of it, which is um, we have 
once you've set it up, you've got different sites, for example, so different, you know, potentially different customers or different uh, groups of people. Um, within each site, you have registered accounts. So these are people who are actually using the system right now. So for example, you know, we've got the, this user ID, that user ID, and depending on the, the actual user, um, if I were to log into that or, or, or drill into that user, you can see, for example, that there's some information on that user ID. There's, he's got a whole bunch of profiles um, winners. So he's got a Windows profile that's local using that keyword, for example, and that's a master profile. Um, you scroll down a little bit, you can see that the, the different devices that this user is using and how much, the, what the status of their enrollment looks like. So you can, you know, so that you get an overview of that. Um, in our latest release, which this isn't right now, so we, we have a, um, a more clear picture of this and a little bit of a, a change to that. But where, it, where you actually see what's going on on the system is in the authentication logs. So here you're able to see a log of what is happening within um, within your system right now. So you've got all the users, for example. So for every user, for every site, um, what what kind of client are they using? Are they using a keyboard or a mouse, for example? And then the decision that is being taken. So you'll notice here that there's a risk level based on that decision. Um, and then granted basically means that this is a match and we have a very high confidence level that this is that person. And if there is any kind of false alarms or being locked out, for example, or the action that's being taken, it would, um, it would sort of show up here. Um, and, you know, so, so it kind of, so it gives you that idea from here. Now, the more important thing is if I were to show you the, the configuration and some of the things that you can do with the system, um, this is where you configure the system at first and then you let it, you leave it autonomously run after that, where you basically decide, okay, you've got three different groups within my users and I can assign each of the users to one of these regular sensitive or privileged groups. Um, do I want to track the keyboard biometrics or not? Do I want to track the mouse biometrics or not? Um, so do I want to use them for sensitivity? Uh, risk policy is sort of, you know, a way to, to allow you to, to be a bit more lenient with your users. If, you, if, if you're in a very high strict or high security environment, you can disable that. And what that means is that it will treat sort of, you know, it'll be a lot more strict in the way that um, it reacts with the user. Um, from a behavior perspective, um, if, if, a, if there is an anomaly detected, should I do, should I lock the screen or not? So we can, so you can decide what to do with that. Um, if there is an, you know, and, and if I do lock the screen or there is a negative event detected, for example, what kind of out-of-band notifications are not? So is there kind of some kind of a second factor authentication that I, I may be, I, you know, I may want to use or not? And, and again, depending on the group, um, as well as last of all, you can actually set the, the sensitivity level. So keystroke matching sensitivity, you make it high, high, high sensitivity or low sensitivity, depending on the group as well. And that really determines how close we we consider you as an end user to your profile before we consider that um, some kind of a negative event. Um, now, there are a lot of other things within the system, like configuration, uh, integration with Splunk, the email services, the logs and the SMS and, and all that kind of, there are a lot of things that we can sort of go through, but I just wanted to give you a very quick overview. No, for this, all, is, this, this is good. Okay, so let's, let's talk about um, biometric. Um, enable key, keystroke biometrics. Zach said uh, just a, a perception comment. You should probably avoid the use of the word keystroke because, you know, people might go keylogger crazy on you again, okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Ian, oh, can I'm sorry, can you share that again? Because I, I wanted to look at that and, and just 
talk about some of those things I was seeing. Thank you. Um, mouse biometrics. Even if you just said keyboard biometrics instead of keystroke, that would probably. Now, uh, risk risk policy. And I understand that it, there's probably more to it than just the keyboard. You know, I'm just, you know, again, this is perception. This isn't a, this isn't, this is, a, this is Zach bitching to bitch and also helping you guys save face in the future. That's awesome, um, actually. No, I appreciate that. Um, and just a backgrounder, Steve, um, th this is the, the previous version. We're about to release the newer version um, in the next two or three days. Okay. Um, and we've actually gone through a revamp of a lot of the labeling and a lot of the uh, the nomenclature based on the feedback that we've received from the uh, from the market so far. Okay. So, but, yeah. so the biometrics part seems pretty standard. Um, regular, sensitive, and privileged. So this is basically like a, a good, better, best, or a user manager executive or something like is that kind of what i'm what i'm understanding this as correct so you know so let's say for example the privileged user might be maybe users who have access to a lot more sensitive systems and um, that can do a lot more damage to your environment whereby regular users are just a day-to-day -day end users okay we don't have admin rights for example um so so sensitive or privileged could be somebody that has access to hr or accounting or you know that type of stuff uh whereas regular correct. would just be the you know the the minions correct yes okay so now looking at behavior locks uh, or actually no wait enable risk policy so turning the risk policy on for regular that is actually making the biometric data uh, more strict correct Yes. So when actually when you enable the risk policy, what that's making it is actually making it less strict. So it listens a little bit longer to you before deciding whether you are a, you know, you, this is anomalous or not. Okay. So maybe you should rename it to enable risky policy because it's a little risky for us to. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. Um, behavior lock screen on suspected intrusion now i'm going to assume that this is either a demo or maybe your your own office or something like that so this is not the recommended use to to not lock anybody out correct correct yeah i mean it, it, you know that's the, the whole point of it is to, to remain secure um and this yeah the, this is our office one and a lot of the time we turn it on and off depending on on the the environment um so we just you know we, we test it out internally first um so yeah so somebody must have just turned it off but yeah depending on how you want to do it okay so i would say that again perception having all of those off even you know especially now knowing it's your office environment and not a test environment. I feel like you guys should be eating your own dog food and protecting your own environment, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, out of band notifications, is that where it sends some type of alert to me or the end user? Yes, so this sends it to the end user. So we're trying to keep the administrator away um, or out of the loop, just simply, not out of the loop, but uh, to, to, to keep the administrator from having to do a lot more work. Um, mm -hmm. So what ends up happening in the, with this right now is that um, if for whatever reason we detect an out-of-band 
So we will send you an SMS to say, hey, was this you or not as an end user? Um, so, you know, so if I'm an end user, I'm at lunch and suddenly I get one of these SMSs that means somebody is, is probably on my on my workstation. I can actually respond, yes, it was me, or I can say, hey, it wasn't me, in which case the computer would get, would go, would get locked as well automatically. Um, okay, and then uh, can we scroll down to the next? Oh, there's nothing after security. Okay, so the the keystroke sensitivity, uh, again, perception keystroke, but um, high would be... Uh, highly sensitive, highly likely to kick you out if you don't appear to be you. Yes, so it, it's um, it would be not highly likely to kick you out, but highly likely to say that you are not the profile person. Okay. Now, um, let's see. I see static. Uh, okay, so now I'm looking across that little menu along the top. I see dashboard. Static auth, continuous auth, system config, and system management. Where are we right now? System config. We are within um, within continuous authentication config. Okay. So, do each one of those areas have its own little config? Each of these, yeah. So we've got. Um, I mentioned earlier on that we've got the static authentication piece. So that's sort of the web-based. Um, you can protect any website. So you have its own configuration as well as authentication logs as well. So you, you can you can have it for 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 this or this. Um, system, of course, is all system-wide information. So mm -hmm. all the you know, SMS service for the whole system, the email service, password authentication, the Splunk integration, um, log and data retention as well. We can control from there as well as you've got things like. Um, being able to manage the administrator accounts for this admin console um, and the roles and permissions, um, then a whole bunch of server-related things. So the system log, for example, what's been happening on this system. And you know, if, if you've ever dealt with um, highly regulated military environments, for example, you, you know that on the admin console, you need to be able to log everything that happens. So that's where it sort of shows up, as well as licensing. Um, uh, Zach, I'm going to ask you a question here in a minute. So going back to systems management, I saw email. So when would this email, or was it email uh, systems management? There was email somewhere. Yeah, there. Um, when would it email and why? Email is mainly for, um, for, the, for the administrators. So yeah. as, you, uh, as you sign on more administrators or you want to get some alerts, for example, you can get that through email. Um, so, for example, even though this doesn't directly integrate with something like ConnectWise or Autotask or Insert here, uh, you can at least send an email that creates a ticket because it would just go to help at Taylor IT Group, whatever, um, to say uh, Glenn Livett was uh, locked out of the computer for uh, not typing the normal way he types. Not in this specific version that you're looking at, but in in, in our our next version, we'll be able to do that. Yes. Okay. Um, and let me think. I'm just trying to think of like big picture here. The, so so when it's locking someone out, all it's really doing is like the equivalent of of Windows L, right? Where it just does a lock screen. Correct. Okay. So it's not like it's not like you know the the sirens go off and a, a strange uh, light starts flashing above your above your monitor 
you know, it doesn't, <laughs> you know, so, you know, it's, it's nothing like that. It's literally just locking the screen and they just have to log back in. Um, yes, that's by default. Um, however, there is nothing to stop you from, because we integrate to something like Splunk or any other SIEM system, there's nothing to stop you from having a light and a siren go off on top of the user's head if that's what the company wants. <laughs> you know, it's, you it's, either, it it's either going to look really bad or really good. I mean, you know, <laughs> if, if a bunch of quarters start falling out of the bottom of the desk, then then people are going to get excited for that guy, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So Zach asked, uh, what did he ask? Uh, it, it has to do with the static auth section. So you mentioned websites. So my question is, uh, can I just get this for the MSP webinars website and have like biometric authentication for when they log into their account? Or is that that's stupid and that's not how this works? Um, no, it, no, that's that's exactly how the, the the static website authentication is meant to work. It is it's a it's a piece of JavaScript that you put onto any login page on any web page, um, and it and it will call the 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 BioTracker APIs to to learn the way that you've typed in. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing is because again it's behavioral biometrics, right? So we have to learn how sure. you're typing your password and user ID and password. And so what that means is that we eventually, you know, it, it takes us a little bit of time. So we're not going to protect you instantly from the first time you log in. We have to, you know, we have to watch you for, you know, ten, about 10 times before we actually start. That makes sense, yeah. Now, for the website, does that still require the the agent on the computer and the agent and the, and the website work together? Uh, no, it doesn't. So, so the, the website is almost like a completely separate module. So I could literally put this on my website where the MSPs log in to get access to the member portal and they don't have to have the agent on their computer. Yes. Yes. And then when I'm, and, and now this is me just, just out of sheer curiosity, am I paying the, the single license price because it's on one website? Or am I paying for every single member that logs in? Um, or is that just a different price? All the, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's uh, it's still per user um, or per member. But because it's you know the the volume of members is completely different from an employee perspective, it has different levels of pricing. Okay. Okay. Now. Zach's question was the static config. That's basically biometric for the typing of the password and, and using the biometric as that second factor. And I think you you stated that, what, you know, you said that before I even read you off his question, that the JavaScript is going on my website, which is watching how people type and calling the bio tracker and telling them, right? Correct. So, so basically, the answer to Zach's question is yes. Okay. And then uh, one more question here. Can we set this up to sync with LDAP to set your policies based on where the user is located in the organizational unit? Um, that's a good question. Um, we don't from a, the, the agent doesn't really care the, of, about the type of user. 
on the device or on the machine. Um, so whether that's you know that, that's an Active Directory user or something or a local user on the machine, it doesn't really it doesn't really care. It's just it will you know it will log register and enroll that user the same way. Um, so, but, but I'm not sure if, if that was the question or if I've, if I've not answered the question or not. Eric said no. So perhaps, yeah, so if you can have perhaps rephrase the question or be a bit more clear than I can. I, I, can think, I think what he's saying is, so in Active Directory, there's, there's organizational units and we as MS people, MS people, <laughs> we as, <laughs> and it's a MS. Tuesday, guys. Oh my goodness. So mm. we as MSPs, uh, we might use Active Directory to do this crazy thing, like uh, keep our users organized. So we might have an OU for the marketing team, an OU for executives, an OU for accounting, that type of stuff. So does it currently, or will it in the future, have the ability to um, basically set if they're a standard, restricted, or enhanced, or what, whatever your three sec, whatever your three sets of settings were, based on their OU where they live. Okay. Okay. So um, yes, we plan that in the future. Um, we we certainly do plan to have more integration with um, with Active Directory and LDAP in general. Um, we just we don't have it today simply because we, we want to sort of focus on the endpoint and whoever whichever user is using that endpoint. But yes, it's, it is definitely part of the plan. And do you have an estimate of when you think that'll be ready? Hmm. Uh, Probably not. it depends on the customers that we get, but it's it likely won't be in the next six or eight months. Okay, will not be right. So likely not until at least Q two of twenty nineteen at the very soonest. Yeah, Un unless you get a bazillion MSPs and they all say we need this. Unless we get a bazillion MSPs, yeah, exactly, and they're willing to pay you know to pay us, and we'll be happy. So, uh, similar question. And this question is to Eric. Eric, uh, what other ways could you organize your end users in order to deploy these agents? Like, for example, uh, you are ConnectWise, if I recall, if I recall correctly. So, for example, you could have a little dropdown on each computer or something that says. Uh, regular executive what well, you know something like that where it, where it assigns the policy based on that that just takes a lot of manual work on your part because it's a lot harder to go through into each individual thing and and choose a drop down or radial or checkbox or whatever versus just moving things around in active directory is is that an accurate statement eric And while I wait for Eric to respond, um, let's see here. Zach, uh, following up on our earlier question about the uh, static authentication, what if we're using a password manager? Like uh, I, I use one password. That won't work. 
Um, so if you're if you're using a password manager or you're using a um, you know say just your browser caching in the password, that will not work. We we actually will prevent you'll have to re-enter the password again. So you won't even let us use that on the website if if we've got the BioTracker JavaScript installed. Yes. That's awesome and annoying. I mean, yes. I'm, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's fine if you're using that as a factor, but you know, it's it's give and take. You know, it's it's security. Um, it is. Yeah. Brian said, "Okay, that's too far. I'm out." <laughs> I don't know if he's being serious or not. Um, well, then, uh, use the uh, the continuous uh, authentication one. There, this way, you don't have to worry about it. You can still use the uh, right, and the continuous one would just be the one that's on their on their workstation agent. Correct. Yeah. Um, Eric's. Uh, so if if we use the LastPass enterprise for our clients, then we cannot use your system. And Eric, to clarify, this is regarding the the static authentication so you can actually on a website install some javascript on that website like as the web designer or developer right you can install some javascript onto the login page where it's tracking the the way that they type in their username and password and passing that information over to the bio tracker so I'm, I'm sorry, I saw Brian and I got distracted. So th this would not allow them to use the password keeper to automatically fill in the username and password. And Brian says he strongly encourages his users to use those, those tools so they have crazy passwords that can't get hacked or are less likely to get hacked, or at least unique enough that if one gets hacked, the rest of their stuff isn't hacked. So the static authentication, as cool as that sounds, um, I, don't, I don't know if that is what MSPs are looking for right now, just so you know. Although that might be a big thing in the enterprise world. You know, if, if you've got people that are using an intranet and they, they have to type in a username and password just for that one page. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm just letting you know what the people are saying. <laughs> Um, no, no, good point. Good point. I mean, in, in fact, I mean, that's that's part of the reason why we we, we always lead with our continuous authentication because that's where we think is is a stronger use case and and is, is required more. Um, the um, you know, and frankly, the static authentication piece on a website for us. I mean, there, there are other people out there who do it, so we're not we don't really want to get into that space that much. Um, for us, it's more important to, to to focus on continuous authentication and protecting the workstation. Okay, um, going back to that uh, Active Directory thing. So I asked Eric if there was an easier way for him to do it. He said we could create an EDF for that, yes, but if there is no API or CLI for provisioning, then that would be pointless. So there is an API for Pluralloc. Can the, can the API be used for uh, uh, deploying out and provisioning the client? The end user, whatever we do, um, the, the the client is actually an MSI file, and so you can use MSI execute or or any of the the, the policy based tools to, to to just deploy that to as many workstations as you want. And you could also add some slash commands, I assume, 
so that way you can say uh, this belongs to XYZ organization to ABC policy that type of stuff correct yeah so that's you know that, that's pretty much all the you know anything that you can do with active directory there or with you know with with the uh, with, by, with deployment you can do that um, you know the key thing is that we, while you're deploying our MSI you're also you know you also send the configuration information with it too. okay and once it's deployed can we change their config like can we change them to a reg from a regular to a restricted or vice versa oh yeah yeah absolutely it's on on the admin console you just go in and, and change them okay um <laughs> eric did i answer your question well enough man i i want to make sure that this is addressed for you Uh, oh, and he's asking if there if this can be manipulated via command line, and um, even if once it's installed, can we use command line to change the config? Yes, you can. Okay, so we could have a script that we put into our RMM tool. We'll call it Kaseya because that'll drive Eric crazy. Uh, <laughs> so we could have a we could have a script in there, and we can have. Uh, we can have one script called regular, one script called restricted, one enhanced, whatever you guys call them. I don't remember. And we can just run that script on each endpoint. And then, yeah, I think. So So let me ask you this. And I'm just trying to get big picture here. Let me, how do I want to do this? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. So I want to like draw it out for you guys because I want it to make sense. Um, share. Um, can you show, I don't know if you're able to share it on the screen. Can you share with us like the, the list of slash commands or whatever you call those things that go with the MSI package, please? Um, I don't have access to it right now, but we can Understood. certainly make some of these documents available. Thank you, Jordan switches. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, guys. My brain is not going to work for the next few weeks. Um, so I, I appreciate everyone's patience and putting up with me. <laughs> Just an FYI, it's, it's you know, the, the, the permissions can be done on the admin console. You don't need to, to change anything on the workstation to change permissions. So once that user and, is enrolled. And that I understand, but people also like to stay in their tools. So if they can avoid going into the Pluralock admin console and they can do it all from the RMM tool, that would make everyone super happy. So, so here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share my, my PowerPoint. Hopefully you see this. Let me uh, make that the, the guy. All right, so what I'm thinking is in... 
in a perfect world, in your RMM, you're going to have um, you're going to have why isn't it? There we go. You're going to have the uh, company, and that company is going to have a user-defined field with like their their custom code of you know whatever whatever that custom code is for Pluralock. And then there's going to be um, a script that we can use to deploy deploy restricted settings. And and I assume those those settings would be the same across everyone that's restricted. So the script would pull the UDF from this spot here in the RMM tool, and it would use that restricted settings file or code or whatever that is to apply those settings to the endpoint. Am I thinking of this correctly, everyone? Well, of course, it depends on the RMM. Yes, I, I understand that. But I'm just thinking big picture. Big picture, if 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 the RMM supports doing all this stuff, which, I mean, heck, if Datto RMM can do it, uh, shouldn't everything be able to do it? Oh, wait, SolarWinds can't. I'm sorry, Zach. Zach, you're going to have to change RMM tools. Um <laughs> You can run PowerShell, yes, but how would how would you use how would you get this custom thing for the for that specific company using PowerShell? That's that's my point. I'm trying to make is if we want to do this all in the RMM tool, we need to we need to know the the custom code for each company. Uh, Ehab, is there a, is there a special MSI for every client organization, or do you have to put a, a switch to assign the organization correctly? Um, the only um, the only thing that you need to send as part of your MSI package is just the uh, some uh, the uh, the API keys in order to hit back the server. So what ends up happening is that we as part of your configuration for that MSI while you're distributing it is you you, you enter a few um, some of our configuration items including the master key the API key that, that needs to be to hit back the server and then once it gets installed on that endpoint agent then it, it, it communicates with the server and downloads the rest of the configuration based on that so there is you know there, there are different specific different keys and the, the values will be different based on the site that you're actually deploying and connecting this endpoint agent to. And Zach said, so he could write a microservice that passes all that. Call the microservice from PowerShell. Well, Zach, you know, we aren't all as smart as you, Mr. Smarty <laughs> Pants. We don't drink enough smart water, apparently. Need enough Smarties. Um, yeah, we can all hire Zach to do all that for us, I think. All right. So I think, um, 
I, I think that covers everything. Ehab, Ian, do you guys have any any last comments that you'd like to leave everyone with? Some words of wisdom. <laughs> well, I mean, no. Thank you for for the uh, for the very engaging discussion. Um, it's definitely, yeah. um, you know, you're you're a lively group. That's for sure. <laughs> we try. Um, you know, and one of the things that, uh, that I just want to make sure of, because today I didn't really talk at all about our MSP program, um, because frankly, our product and technology is just too cool and more interesting. Um, but I mean, you can find more on, on the slash MSP link that, that I keep talking about, the purelog.com slash MSP. And yeah, no, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for listening and staying this song. Thank, thank you, guys. And and I, I do hope that... Uh, this was received well by by you guys, Ian and Ehab. I really enjoyed this. I think uh, as ridiculous as some of our conversations usually are here at MSP webinars, we do learn a lot. Um, and and I feel like I feel like you have a great service. Um, I will say that with the caveat of I want to try it and see it in action and and see if it actually is a great service. But it's it's one that I think is at least worth giving a trial and and checking out for yourselves. So um, so for, for those of you that are that are watching this later, feel free to reach out to me and you know see how it went, see if I've got some type of a special group buy thing going on uh, that will be for members only for MSP webinars. Um, Zach and Cliff, and anyone else that wants to have a serious discussion about some type of, of group buy, um, can you guys please meet me in the Zoom room immediately after the webinar? Um, Ehab, Ian, you guys rock, man. Thanks so much. You you guys are very good sports about all of this. Um, I think you guys give, give great responses to all of our questions, both the serious ones and the ridiculous ones. And I look forward to seeing uh, another webinar from you guys in like another, you know, three, four quarters to see all the all the changes and and upgrades and everything else that you guys have done. So so don't be strangers. All right, guys. We won't for sure. Thanks so all much. Right. Thank you so much. Um, all right. So everyone, before we close out, just a quick reminder, Thursday, we've got Sophos on for a webinar and they have extended one thousand to forty nine ninety nine special pricing tier for everyone new and existing customers. Next week, we have SolarWinds and Central doing a tech demo. And then the follow week, following week, we've got uh, cloud-hosted desktops, workstations and desktops as a service with CloudJumper and our mastermind group that we do every month. So uh, if, if any of those are uh, remotely interesting, just go to mspwebinars.com and register for those now and it'll give you a little little link you can click on to add it to your calendar whether you're a, a mac a pc a office 365 or a g suite it'll it'll let you add it to your calendar so you don't forget about it thanks so much for attending this everyone um this was fun i like doing these with you guys i hope you all have a fantastic rest of your uh, day and hopefully i'll see you on thursday take care thank you 
Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today.